So this time of year, even though it's busy, there's also a little more time to hang out with the family. And so it's fun to pop some popcorn and watch a TV show together, watch something, stream something to your house. But that can get dangerous too. You, you get out of G-level programming and even into PG programming, even though you may be able to handle it yourself, it's just not fun watching some stuff, certain content with your kids, even when they're adult kids. It's not fun watching certain innuendos or hearing those with your parents, if you're, if you're watching them with your adult parents. So I, I was trying to get ahead of all this, and I thought, okay, what could be something that we could watch as a family that just is safe, right? It's just safe. And I remembered a show that I used to watch in the 80s. It was on syndication. It had came out in the 70s. And I don't know if I ever actually watched an entire episode of the show, but my, my sister and my dad and my mom, they watched it. So I'd pick up 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here. And it, it was The Waltons. Some of you guys remember The Waltons? So I, I did some investigation, and, and you can stream the Waltons on one of the providers. I will not give any shameless plug to one of those streaming services. And so I tried it out, and guys, it worked. It worked. Like, my two out of the three teenage kids have watched the Waltons with us, my 19-year-old and my 16-year-old. I have a 17-year-old. He ain't going to watch the Waltons with us. So that's just... You know, I, I set my expectations low there. And, and so I'm like, hey, this is cool. This has worked out pretty good. Well, I wasn't paying attention when I was a kid or I didn't understand. And I was pretty surprised about this. But guys, do you remember Grandpa Walton? Okay, Grandpa Walton. Man, he's a little strange of a fella, man. I mean, he has some innuendos. That he's a one old frisky dude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm turning, my face is turning red by Grandpa Walton. So, I mean, you're never safe. You're never safe uh, when watching entertainment together. Um, at the end of one of those episodes, if you remember, the narrator will kind of give the moral lesson of, of what happened. And so this narrator at the end of one of the episodes said something really cool. He said, we were poor, yet we didn't realize how rich we were. I was like, wow, thank you, John Boy, for that <laughs> word of wisdom. And, you know, it, it was a cool statement. And, and I think about joy. And, um, gosh, there's a lot of pressure to be joy, right? There's a lot of pressure to be spunky. There's a lot of pressure to be enthusiastic, to bring it, you know, to bring your game. And, and for those of us who are jovial people or you know, sometimes we just don't want to be happy. And so we equate happiness with joy. And you've heard that sermon before. And here we go again. Um, but I, I, I like what John Boy said. Um, listen, part of joy is even if you're poor, in their case, realizing that you're rich. And that comes by relationship, like having healthy relationships with God, with each other, with contentment. All of the things that really matter. And so here's my prayer for the sermon today. I hope that this sermon will help contribute towards the right perspective during this season and beyond because the right perspective leads to the right joy. And the right joy is, is Jesus Christ. I don't mean that in a trite way or, or in a tired way. 
You know, joy is Jesus. That is true. I, I, I hope you feel it fresh. I hope you feel an anointing on that. Like this, this is how this is going to unfold. The, the revelation of who Jesus is brings something to us. So let's talk about this song, the song that we read. Uh, it was Mary's song. She sang that in response uh, to her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, she went and she had found out already through the angel Gabriel that she was pregnant and it was uh, this unusual, miraculous, um, the, the incarnation. Uh, she, she went to see her cousin and Mary, excuse me, Elizabeth, her cousin, um, really was among the first to affirm that Mary wasn't crazy. <laughs> she said, listen, I rejoice with you in what God's done. And so now Mary responds with this song, this kind of reaction that we benefit from today. And Mary's song has all types of allusions, all types of connecting points to the Old Testament, which lets us know the importance of regular digestion of Scripture. I mean, Mary, Mary no doubt went to the synagogue on a regular basis, the, the temple occasionally when she was in Jerusalem. Um, in a Jewish home, they would have recited the Torah often, would have prayed the Psalms often. They have the same tools that are available to us today. And so, so Mary knew Scripture. She was like an Awana kid, man. She, she had that stuff in her heart. She knew it. She had been in Pastor Chip's class and gone through all those Old Testament stories. And, and she had personified this. And so when she responded to Elizabeth, all of this that had been inside of her, it was like, it wasn't just a instant, re, it wasn't just a calculated reaction. It was a, a reflex of what was inside of her. All of the spiritual training, you know, all of the exposure to scripture, the understanding of who God is as revealed through songs like Miriam's song, uh, like Hannah's song, uh, through the different scriptures, all of this is inside of her, and she responds in a way that reflects who she is. And I just want to encourage you that the digestion of scripture and the partaking of scripture, whether it's hearing a sermon like this, whether it's your devotional life, whether it's just exposure to other Christian kind of, um, of, of pathways to, to hear God's word, it's not always spectacular, but it's making an impact and it's storing up inside of you knowledge and fruit of the heart. And when the, the times of life come where there's a reaction, what's been stored inside of you begins to come forth. And we see that in Mary. She probably thought deeply on her journey to see Elizabeth. And maybe as she thought about what the angel had said to her, what God had said to her through the angel, and she reflected on someone like Hannah, uh, she mirrored Hannah's song. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. And Hannah had something in common with Mary or vice versa in that there was a miraculous, unexpected birth. A child was given. A child was given for the purposes of God. What was hopeless and what it didn't seem like there would be ever, it was delayed, it didn't seem like it would come, uh, happened in Hannah's life when she 
birthed Samuel and gave her to the Lord. And so that parallels where God's people were in this Advent season, like people, like people longing for something fresh, people longing for something promise, people longing for the arrival of God here on earth. That's where we are as people. We're like, we're always positioned waiting. Like we're waiting for God. We're experiencing God and we're waiting for God at the same time. And so it stirs within us the joy, the joy that looks beyond today's circumstances, that looks beyond even the life we live. Our, our view peers into eternity and we see past what everyone else sees because we're not limited to what we know because we have received revelation about what will be. This is the power of God that we manifest and we live out of. Luke tells this story and, and Luke is the author of this passage and, and if You'll, you'll probably read Luke next year at some point because I think it would be great for every Christian to try their best to read the New Testament and at least the four Gospels. And, and, and Luke has this theme. And here's the, the theme that Luke started really with Mary and is all through his biography of Jesus. God takes the humble, God takes the overlooked, God takes the marginalized, and God uses people like them and people like me for his purposes, for his story to unfold, for his kingdom to advance. And guys, listen, I, I, uh, I have a story. You know, I have stuff that I've overcome, things you know about, things you don't know about, um, things that are, are, are personal, uh, things that, you know, you know, when you preach a lot, you don't want to just always talk about yourself. Uh, so there's stuff that the Lord's helped me overcome. And, but here's, here's what I know. That like, your story is amazing. Your story is amazing. Your story is great. And like, pastoring a group of people like this, I'm amazed at who is among us. And like, the stories that I know, I don't know all the stories, but I know a lot of your stories. And you don't understand how magnificent you are. You don't understand what you're overcoming. You don't understand what you're getting through. You're, 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 you have something powerful, like you're living out something that if it was on the movie screens, it would win, uh, it would win an Academy Award, if that's the right category. I always get Academy Award and Oscars and all those confused. You'd win something important, right? <laughs> A few years ago, um, there was there was like this movement called the people of New York. It was a photographer who would take these great pictures and then a writer, maybe it was the same person, I don't know, and they would write these great narratives about these people in New York. And it was cool and everything, and I knew a lot of people who liked it, but I thought, man, you think the people of New York is great? You think that makes a great coffee, coffee book you know, on, on your end table? Think about the people of CIL. Because I'm just telling you guys, your stories are remarkable. And, and, and I hope that you can see that. I hope sometimes we, we can't see the greatness that, that God is doing through us. And so, Lord, give us heavenly eyes to see that. And so Luke reminds us, and he reminds us through Mary, and then Mary's song reminds us that God's for the underdog. God's for the, the person that no one else believes in. God's for the overlooked God's for the person that doesn't have all the built-in advantages, and that's why he is for us. And I love what Paul wrote. If God is for us, who could be against us? If God's on our side, it's amazing what he's going to do. Years ago, um, we got a phone call here at the church 
back when people used to call the church. Now only salespeople call the church. Now I will say thank you for providing a church line with, with your, your giving because we've had two ministry opportunities come from random phone calls in the last month. So I guess we still do need the landline. But this phone call wasn't so pleasant. Our office manager um, was talking to someone and they were belligerent on the phone. So I, I walked out there by the water cooler and kind of asked, what's going on? And they told me what was going on. So I said, well, let me take care of it. So call got transferred down my hall. I jogged down the hallway to get to my office. And, uh, and the person knew who I was. Uh, and um, they're like, I said, hey, this is Aaron. How can I help you? Well, hi, Pastor Aaron. And they were respectful and kind, and we solved the problem. So I felt pretty cool. I felt, I was kind of braggadocious after that. I bragged. I was like, hey, look, I solved the problem. It wasn't any big deal after all. And our office manager told me, she said it was the same way when I worked at the doctor's office. People would call in and they would be disrespectful and they would be mean until they got to the doctor who was in charge of the office. And then they were kind and respect. Dr. Johnson, it's no problem. We'll work through this together. So keep that in mind, all right? Yeah. That's not, not for our church, but for every call. Let's not treat employees like orderlies. You know, let's give respect. But in our little world, uh, or in a doctor's office, the position changed people's disposition. Like, all right, this is the guy in charge. This is the lady in charge. So I, I want their, I want their uh, approval, so I'm going to now be respectful. The position changes our disposition. And that's kind of how it is, too. You know, we can, it's easy just to rah, 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 talk about leaders, but then if they're in our face. We're all like, oh, no, you know, we're, we're really cool to you and to your face. So let's try to be consistent as much as we can. Um, I say this now because, as we look at joy, I want us to think about a place of joy at a Mary song is God's position and putting God in the right position. Write it down. That's my first point. God's position. Verse 46, she's saying this. My soul praises, look what it says on the screen, the greatness of the Lord. <laughs> this is awesome. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. God's position as high and powerful and lofty and sovereign and intelligent. How many know that God's smart and God is loving? He's like this force of perfection. And Mary is saying this and her joy is coming from positioning God where he's supposed to be. And this is interesting. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is an important point. Because Mary is calling God her Savior. And so that's one of the reasons why there's nowhere in the Bible that tells us to pray to Mary. Because Mary was a sinner just like we are. She needed the Savior. Uh, we'll find out from Scripture that we can learn a lot from Mary. And she is a, one of the saints that we can honor. But she's not someone we are to pray to or we're to worship I don't know what I feel like doing. A, if you can hear that, there's a phone. I want to do a dance back there or something. Okay. Someone left their iPad upstairs uh, on, the, on the phone or whatever. So um, 
Mary began giving God alone, making God alone the object of her praise and the center of her joy because she was everything to him. This idea of Jesus as a savior, Jesus as one that saves, might have been one of the reasons she mirrored her namesake's prayer, Miriam. Miriam, the sister of Aaron, after God led the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then he, he stopped the, the pursuit of the Egyptians, and it was miraculous, it was unexpected, it was something that you can never imagine occurring. Like It's just, just something that God saved them. If God had not intervened, all of the Jewish people would have been eliminated by the Egyptians those many, many hundreds of years before. But they were delivered. And so you'll see, if you ever go back and look at the song of Miriam, there were so many parallels to Mary's song. And so, so it was that she's calling Jesus the Savior just as he saved, just as he saved the Jewish people from the Israelite army and took them through the Red Sea. So he has saved us and he has saved us from the oppression of the enemy, the attack of the enemy and that great separation between us and where God wants us to be. The waters of the sea are impossible to, to pass through, but Jesus made the way for us. This is, this is the salvation that we have. And so we hear echoes of this. God revealed. And Mary, Mary's song introduces us right away before Jesus even breathed oxygen on this planet, before he was even birthed, he was already established as the predetermined savior of the world, uh, the one who would make the difference in us that we couldn't make for ourselves. So already she is searching for who God is. And it, it, this makes me think about us and our search for God. Because I think we, we ask God the wrong question. My lifetime, the way I was raised, uh, and this is not a criticism of how I was raised. This was just like this was like the atmosphere I was in. I'm not thinking about anyone that grew up in a great church. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Great parents, you hear about them a lot, all of that. But I'm just saying the culture that we all grew up in. It, it, it was we were predetermined to ask this question, and it's an incorrect question. Here it is: What do I get from God? That's that's how salvation was presented to us often. Like what? Do I get from God? And so we think, well, okay, God, if, if I respond to this sermon by raising my hand or, or walking the aisle or going to the prayer counselor, I get to avoid hell. Okay, so that's one motivation. Um, God, if, if I am a good Christian and a moral person, I get to go to heaven. Um, or God, if, you know, if, if I keep myself pure, and, 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 and resist sexual immorality as a teenager, then I get to have a great marriage. You know, and, and, and it's not always cause and effect like that. How many know that things are much more complex, you know, and th th these are issues that Christian couples have, have dealt with because of that. So my, my point is this, is the question was wrong. The question was, God, what can I get from you? Like, what do I get from giving my life to you? As if God is so lucky that I am giving my life to him. Like I am, I'm so special that God is fortunate and it's like I have favored God by saying yes to God. 
And, and this is the way I, I, I viewed Christianity, and, and it, still is, it still affects me. I'm trying to unlearn that question. If you look at a story, if you look at Scripture through another filter, and if you even look at uh, the history of humanity through another filter, here's a, I believe, a better question and a correct question. And I think it's a question Mary was asking. Instead of what do I get from God, here's the question. Who is God? Who is God? If the question is what do I get from God, we're always creating the God we want and the God we need for the moment. And, and we're always asking God to adapt to us. And, and we're, also, we're creating God in our image and we're creating a cultural God who's different in night. In 1960 than he is in 2020. And, and that's, not, that's not stable enough. Uh, we are not to be trusted to create our own God because we're not God. The, the question, who is God, has caused mankind to, to seek after him and to think deeply and to search scripture and to search wisdom and to adapt to God instead of adapting God to us. This is a very much a different perspective. And this is part of the fear of God. The fear of God is to keep God in a place of awe, to keep God in a place of respect, to keep God in a place where he is the one revealing to us we're not the one creating him. One of the most meaningful songs to me in recent years, I'm not the melody of the songs necessarily my favorite, but the content is so good. It's a Christian artist uh, named um, Amanda Cook. And one of her songs makes a statement. May I never lose the wonder. May I never lose the wonder. And, and I, I think about that song because it's so easy to become an expert about God. It's so easy to self-identify yourself as a theologian. I'm, a, I'm an expert theologian. I studied God, theos, God, ology, the study of God. I, I'm a doctorate in theology. I'm an expert in theology. And, and we begin uh, to approach God in this clinical or academic or we, we approach God like, like it's a commerce, like we're making a deal with him. And, and then we think we have God figured out and, and we think, we have God controlled, and, and before we know it, uh, we have no wonder about God. There's no mystery about God. There's no awe about who God is. There's no respect for God. And, and respect for God is the key to submission for God. Because if we don't respect God, we won't submit to God. So I thank our sister Mary as one of our spiritual mothers she says, my soul magnifies the greatness of God. He's great. He's big. He's lofty. He's, um, he's to be respected. And, and I want to say this, guys, when you carve out time for worship with the family of God, it's a way you respect God. I, way to go. Way to go. You're here right now. So I, I just say, way to go. You have respected God by coming to church today. You have said, I, I'm beginning my week. And we know that lots of our brothers and sisters have to work this morning. And that's a whole other complicated conversation. But 
You're you're symbolically starting your week saying, I am giving preference to God. I'm giving reverence to God. I'm putting God first in my life. And that respect for the Lord is a key to you submitting to the Lord. So way to go today. Um, In about our third year of marriage, uh, Beth and I, we were working full-time in ministry and we felt called to go help a church plant team, not as a senior pastors, but as part of the team. So God clearly told us that. So we quit a, um, a good job to go several states away. It was my home state, but it was not Beth's home state in, in Texas to, to be part of starting a church with no job and uh, just a clear call from, from the Lord. It was the original young, dumb, and broke, right? Thank you, Abby, for laughing at that. <laughs> so we followed God and we did that. And, and that, you know, I don't ever suggest quitting your job without a new job to follow God unless like, these are like really clear. So, so we did that and, and our family help, families helped us out to make that happen. In that time period before the church started, I was at a conference of our denomination at the time and I, I ran into my past, one of my pastors there, um, and, and he just looked at me. We were at the same conference, but we didn't go together. And he looked at me, and he said, he just shook his head and said, Aaron, you got such favor on your life. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you'll find out. And what we found out a few days after that was that the home church that I grew up in, that I spent the first 20 years of my life um, heard about what we were doing and made a commitment to pay my salary for a whole year to help start the church. Unexpected, undeserved, um, unasked for, completely just initiated by God. It was like obedience and then, and then God provided. I don't know if I told you this part, but, um, um, well, Let's just move forward. Now you're curious. I, <laughs> the sequence is after we made the decision not to go, uh, we got offered three full-time youth pastor jobs at what we considered prestigious churches. So there was a real test of faith before the favor came. So I thought about that because now in Mary's song, she talks about the God, God of favor God's favor. And I want you to write that down. We, we've learned already that Luke said, because he looked at me with favor on the humble condition, verse 49, of his servant, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things and holy is his name. Look at verse 48. Put that up there in case you missed that. Because he has looked with me with favor on the humble conditions of his servant, now all generation will call me blessed. And we do call Mary blessed today, but but the same blessing that's on Mary is on you. Because she birthed the physical Messiah, and through the new birth of Jesus, we birthed Jesus. And that blessing on her extends to everyone whose heart is regenerated and who 
are born again like Jesus' people are. I want you to be encouraged in this today that God has favor in store for you, the favor you've already experienced in Christ Jesus through salvation. But I also want to talk about felt favor, like that story I told you uh, uh, years ago with my salary being paid for a year. God has favor in store for those who reverence him. Your reverence for God and your humility is a doorway to the favor of God. Because when you start like trying to Trying to tell God what his favor should be, that's not a place of humility. That's a place of manipulation. Okay, when you begin to make a deal with God, like God, there's a cause and effect. I'm gonna serve you and you have to do this for me. And I've seen that so many times, you know, working, especially with young adults and students and young adults. It's like, you know, students wanna be admitted to a certain college or they wanna get a certain scholarship or or they, they want to, a certain roommate, or they want to marry a certain person, or they, they want a certain career, first job, or they want a certain salary, and all this, and they equate the favor of God with what uh, they're, they're imagining in their mind. Now, young adults, we still do it as middle-aged and older adults, too, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not picking on you guys. I'm just saying that you start learning those lessons early on in life. Part of God's favor is the humility to say, God, what you want for me is better than what I can imagine on my own. And so here it is that he not only saved her, but he chose her to be the mother of the Messiah, the bride of a carpenter, and yet she was going to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. Some of the older Versions say he regarded her, God regarded her, which means this. It's not that like favor comes on us because it's like the lottery. Oh, I'll give favor to him and I'll give favor to her and I'll give favor to to that couple back there. And God just kind of throws out favor and see where it sticks. That's not how the favor of God works. God is mindful, mindful, which means like he looks at our who we are, our personality, our circumstances, our character. And he's like, yeah, now they're ready for this. Now they're ready for that. Favor at this point, favor at that point, all part of his story, all part of his kingdom. That's part of the wisdom, sovereignty, and intelligence of God. And so the scripture says in here, it says in verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, some of the older versions say this word. Here's a cool word henceforth. That's a great word, isn't it? I almost wanted to change versions just for that. I'm going to design t-shirts with the word henceforth or visors with henceforth. Henceforth means that like from now on, henceforth, from now on, from this time forward, everything is going to be different. Mary went through this transformational encounter with God or this favor of God or this choice of God. But here, here's an here's a interesting, interesting thing about that. No one else saw it. Just very few. Like Elizabeth saw it. Maybe John, her husband. Joseph, her fiance, kind of saw it and kind of trusted her. But the rest of the world... Uh, would use words today like illegitimate or accident or promiscuous, you know, and you know, those, those, are, those were labels that were given upon what was the most beautiful expression of God's love to the world. 
And so God's favor on you may not always be recognized. It may not always be celebrated, but trust the slow, small work of God because like one little adjustment, one little change, if, if you change the trajectory just a little bit, it has huge long-term impact when God's involved. I, I just want you in the midst of what you're calling ordinary and you're calling just typical and, and, and some people may have even said your life is unremarkable and just all those, you know, all of the messages that, that we self-impose upon ourselves are telling us we're not good enough. Can I just let you guys know that my life is not as good as it looks on social media platforms? And neither does yours either, so don't judge me. We're, putting, we're posting our best angles on our best days with our funniest jokes, and everything's best, 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 and, and then we believe the lie that our life is unremarkable. It's not making an impact. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing unique about it. And the whole time, we're like little Marys. I mean, we're birthing Jesus. We're carrying around the promise. We're carrying around the hope of the world. Man, people can't see God's work within us. People don't understand what he's doing. But can I tell you this, is that when God shows up in your life, you don't have to wait for everyone else to recognize it. You know that he's doing something within you. And it's going to come forth in due season the way God wants it to come forth and it's going to have impact that you could have never imagined yourself this is transformational you see Mary's song was like Hannah's song it was a reversal of fortunes and I just want that phrase to be in your mind today, a reversal of fortunes. Like God is going to reverse things in your life. You may not feel it yet, see it yet. Maybe you don't even fully believe it yet. But can you believe that if God's plan for you is greater than your plan for yourself, then you can believe that the work of Jesus, though it might seem small, it is great because Luke teaches us that the lowly are exalted, the humble are lifted up, the poor become rich, uh, the overlooked become known, while those who are haughty, exalted, and prideful are brought low. This is part of the Lord's work. So we trust him. In recent, recent weeks, not long ago at all, I was at one of our local restaurants. And to kind of continue an illustration that I gave a few weeks ago, I mean, this is going to really, really surprise you guys. Uh, but, you know, the service, the service was, was not too good. Again, for those of you who work in food services, God bless you. Uh, you're, you're understaffed, underpaid. The rest of us are spending money to go out to eat instead of cooking ourselves, and we expect you to be miracle workers. So God bless all of you. But if you heard a sermon I gave a few weeks ago, I'd already made this resolve that uh, I was never going to complain. I was going to be be completely cool. I was just going to, you know, I was going to be cool no matter what the circumstance was. So I was sitting in, in a booth, a corner booth with my whole family. I could see the whole restaurant and uh, no one had greeted us. No one had said anything. And, and uh, the family's getting frustrated. But I was like, I'm cool. It's going to be, I'm just going to be cool. I'm going to play it cool. And I saw this uh, young waitress walk, walk by. I could see her walking our way. And I mean, she was she had all types of emotions on her face. She was angry. Her jaw was tight. Tears were in her eyes. She was walking fast. And, and, and you could tell she was very upset that 
um, it, it was a tough shift for everybody. And um, so she said, have you guys been helped? I'm like, no, we haven't been helped. So she, she starts that process. And I don't remember exactly what I said. Um, but I said something to try to diffuse the situation. Uh, don't think I'm any kind of righteous and holy guy because I remember this is a deliverance the Lord has given me. Um, and, and I said, I said something nice. And um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but she, she responded. I'd never met her before. She responded, well, you know, when you own a restaurant, it changes how much you care. I was like, what do you mean? And so she says, well, I own this restaurant. Never would have thought, you know, that, that she, she looked quite young to me. And so our family, we continued to talk to her. We had a good experience. We'll plan to go back. Well, here, here's, as I saw her um, get involved in clearing the tables, get involved in bringing drinks, get involved in all of the different aspects, I noticed that though she was in charge, she was engaged. Because she was responsible, and because she was responsible, she got involved. I know there's a breakdown in every analogy, but here's where I'm going with this. Because God is in charge of the welfare of our war, a world as our creator. Because God is in charge, God is engaged. And because God is responsible, God is involved. Here's the last thing I want to share with you today. God's engagement. This is the reason we have joy. We have a God who enters in. We have a God who comes down low. We have a God who gets dirty. We have a God who gets involved in the problem. We have a God who brings solutions. We have a God who wants to make things right. That's the story of Advent the world anticipating Jesus, the world now anticipating him again, the already not yet kingdom of God. We have a taste of Jesus. We are experiencing Jesus this morning. We'll experience Jesus culminating at our Christmas Eve services and through this time of celebration, and we'll get this wonderful taste of Jesus, and it's a already but not yet because they're gonna get more of Jesus in the future. And we know that he is the imminent, close, Emmanuel, showing up, getting involved in the problem kind of God. That's who our God is. That's the God that we are getting to know, and that's the God that we are revealing. And that's the God that we are sharing. And as we finish this song of Mary, um, I want you to notice, as, as you read, starting with verse 50, how many times she says, he has, he has, he has. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mary, she was beginning to declare before Jesus was already born that Jesus was a continuation of what God had done with his people through his prophets, through his kings, through his priests. And now God, who has revealed himself through those modes and through those methods and through those revelations, was now 
coming himself, the same God whose story had been revealed through scripture was about to be revealed through the kingdom of God. And the kingdom came through Jesus and the kingdom has been here through Jesus these last 2,100 years and the kingdom is amidst us now. It's the kingdom that's for those who are hurting, for those who have disadvantages, for those who are overlooked, for those who need a lift, for those who are marginalized. That's why Jesus talked about the kingdom himself. And in Matthew 11:5, he was talking and describing the kingdom. And he said this, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. That lets me know that Jesus is there for the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, the poor. These are the people that he loves. And I'm so glad because I've been those in different ways, metaphorically, spiritually, in different ways. Some I know battle these things physically. Some of this is a spiritual dynamic, but the Lord is for us all. He's for all of us. He's for the parts of us that we hide. He's for the parts of us that we avoid. He's, he's for the parts of us we don't want others to discover. That's who our God is for. He has come, not for those who put forth their best, but for those who accept their worst. And we can be like Mary that says, my soul rejoices in the Lord, not because of, him, of me, but because of him, because of the greatness of our God. And I just want to encourage you during this Advent season, keep waiting for the Lord. Keep waiting on his work. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on the promise. Don't give up on the expectation. You know, I know this, that, that we, as all creation, we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. Like he's coming. He's coming back. He's coming back. I mean, we're, we're sure of that. We don't know how. We don't know when. We don't even understand all of the interpretations of the scripture, but we know that he promised to come again. And so, so this is why we wait for the Lord. But I also know this is that there's a waiting within us. We're waiting for the breakthrough with our kids. We're, we're waiting for the next step in our career. We're waiting for the seed that we're sown to come to fruit again. We're waiting for the relationship to be mended. We're waiting for the recognition from the right people. These are all things that we're waiting on. And I want to encourage you in a scripture that has meant so much to me in my prayer life. James, who's the brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter five, verse seven through eight. And contextually, it's talking about the coming of the Lord for us all, but I believe it also applies to the things that we wanna see in our lives. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your heart because the Lord's coming is near. And I say to you, brothers and sisters here, strengthen your heart. Our imminent God, his coming is near. He's gonna show up where you need him, when you need him. He's gonna show up how you need him. He's the God who cares about the details of your life. Nothing is too small for God. Nothing is overlooked for God. There is nothing that you can't take to God. There is no concern of yours that he doesn't care about because he loves you and he, he wants to reveal himself to you in the place that you're at 